Live from the Lincoln Douglas Building in downtown Quincy. The only local show taking a principled stand on the issues of the day. This is how it happens. It's the natural process of things. The view of the entrenched is predictable, but it's also erroneous. With Sean Seacrease. We have an addiction in this country, not only to government welfare and government handouts, but more fundamentally to other people's money. And Quaid. Again, you're dancing with government. This is the morning meeting. You cannot continue to advocate for status quo when status quo has run the ship aground. On Talk Radio 930, WTAD. That's uh, that's our version of the Chicago machine. It's the morning <laughs> meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Secret, Quaid alongside you. Ooh. We're going to do a little shuffle step coming up this morning, Quaid. Are we? we? Who we normally would talk to on Tuesday on the back half of the show, Illinois watchdog Ben Yount. He has agreed to arise early and begin his day with us coming up in just about 10 minutes here on the morning meeting. That's because after uh, a lot of diligence on, on our part, the uh, show's behalf, uh, we've been able to get what I've been told was the only media avail for Darren LaHood today after coming off the debate last night with oh, Junius Rodriguez. Nice. So he is he is in an event right now. It's supposed to wrap up by 1030. Give him a chance to shake some hands and kiss some babies. And he's supposed to join us about 1045 or so. So we That's hope still to have going on. People still kissing babies out there. I would I would assume so. You know, I guess we're not worried about Zika virus. But Darren, I would think he's got the. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay. It seems to be a uh, non-politically charged uh, condition at this point. Okay. You throw anything else out there, you're accused of targeting some kind of subgroup. Look, if you you work hard enough, I'm sure you can find somebody who's offended that you said that, Sean. Please. They're out there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm just playing to the constituents here in the 18th at this point. I don't think that's going to going to bother any of them since that was what the debate was over last night hosted by the uh, Springfield Journal Register in Springfield this was the Darren LaHood Junius Rodriguez debate uh, Junius was advocating for agitating for I would even say a debate in every sizable town in the district including Quincy of course uh, the LaHood camp said yeah no our schedule's far too busy for that we'll have one We'll do it in Springfield. We'll have it uh, telecast online, and then uh, we can go from there. I thought it was interesting last night. I didn't get to watch much of it uh, as I had another event going on at the same time when they uh, kicked this off at 630. Did you did you see all of it or I any of it? St- I, I uh, no. Well, we'll be, get to hear, hopefully, from Darren LaHood himself coming up. Uh, they both pretty much agreed that moves are going to have to be made if we're going to keep Social Security solvent going forward. Uh, Rodriguez called for raising the cap on income taxes uh, on which you pay. Right now, uh, if you make more than $118,500 a year, you pay the same as someone who makes one eighteen five. He wants to raise that upper limit to $200,000. LaHood said that he supports means testing, and both have said that uh, entitlements are now a runaway train. So... We'll see where that ends up going. Uh, When they talked about Obamacare, they hit a couple big topics, and I'm not going to go too far in-depth in this because, again, we hope to have Darren with us in just about 35 minutes here on the morning meeting. Um, LaHood said, look, Obamacare, it hasn't turned out like it was told us 
it would turn out, so it's time to repeal. That's not a new stance for, for yeah. the hood. Well, he says repeal and replace. I did some pre-homework and I've done some post-homework. Mm-hmm. He says repeal and replace. Uh, Junia says, no, we need to tweak what's there. These are not... Uh, radical new ideas that are being no. brought to the table. The interesting thing about it is uh, repeal, I get replace. Does that mean uh, an- another giant government program that still controls one-sixth of the economy? Mm-hmm. Th- this is something that I, I, you know, we need to be clear on. I, and that's something we'll ask Darren about if we get the chance today. I would assume, uh, in knowing him in some of the, uh, the other votes that he's had, that he is not a single-payer guy. Yeah. Uh, but, again, we'll, we'll clear that up for sure. Uh, coming up this morning here when we get him on the morning meeting. Uh, the, the other one that they touched on was uh, same-sex marriage. LaHood still advocating for a constitutional amendment to ban that. Uh, Rodriguez says he would not support a constitutional amendment to ban same-sex marriage. One of the interesting things that I think uh, Junius is trying to, to cover the spaces of I'm the guy who's uh, got the D next to him on the ticket, but mm-hmm. I'm also radically independent. And it's it's interesting that he's he's casting Darren as this, you know, establishment guy and that he's the one who will represent the the people. But when you get right down to it, a lot of his stances are exactly right in line with everything else. Sure. Uh, the Democrats. So I think it's an interest. It's an interesting pitch. But but beyond those words, I think he knows what district he's in, though. Sure. He's trying to, if you, I think, left it up to him to paint the picture, he would tell you that he's an independent-minded Reagan Democrat to sell himself to this area. But when he comes off with a lot of the statements that he makes uh, trying to bait, he comes off as the rent is too damn high guy. (laughs) Uh, That guy's a lot of fun. He is a lot of fun, but he (laughs) not won an election. (laughs) So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, again, uh, Darren Hood, Darren LaHood won the special election to replace Aaron Schock. Yeah. Uh, this is the, the first time through on a traditional election cycle. You would have to think that he has sort of saved face for a, a bit of an embarrassed district after the Schock scandal and that uh, he's, uh, he's, he's been kind of calm and steady. And I would assume, uh, looking at some numbers, that... Uh, he doesn't have much to worry about coming up on that Tuesday in November. Well, what have we talked about? What What's the threshold? Is it 65? Are, are, you know, are you looking at 70? You know, I'm talking what? about just a win. Sure. So I, I don't so, think he has much to worry about. That, but that's about what I'm saying. That's what, we, we're, we haven't talked about win or not. We've talked about percentage. Yes, yes. So we'll get so all that coming up this morning. Uh, again, anticipating Darren LaHood joining us uh, in just about 30 minutes here on the morning meeting. Day before the final presidential election, new poll numbers out. Just want to hit these real quick. Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, coming up in just a moment. I found two things interesting, Quaid, on this mm-hmm. sheet. One is the sizable spread by which Clinton is reported to lead in polls that favor her. CBS News has her up 11. Monmouth has her up 12. But the one poll that we have been pointing to that's run contrary to all this is the Mm -hmm. LA Times-USC tracking poll. That poll, when we last looked at it, was a dead heat. That has now moved to favor Trump, and it's the only one that favors him in the two-way polling. Yeah, and if you look deeper... 
than just random phone calls to people. And I know that the LA Times USC tracking one doesn't do that per se. They've got a set group of people that they go to time and time again. And the reason people bring this up is their model is different right. for how they track it than the other polling models. There is an interesting article at American Thinker that kind of takes in all the external things. The And, and other people would, would refer to this as uh, the enthusiasm uh, quotient. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's, there's a story about a guy who drove cross-country and decided to kind of take in the landscape just based off of yard signs. And he stopped. I can't remember what state it was that he said he stopped in, but he quit when Trump Trump was at 100 and Hillary hadn't had any. It took him until somewhere in Indiana before he found a Hillary sign. And so he decided to, to go meet the person in the house, and they said, well, you're going to have to go down a couple of blocks. They're having this. You'll meet some more people there. And they said by the time he got to the event that she appointed him to, there was Trump people there chanting USA and Trump. And he was like, <laughs> what? What is happening? So I have so many questions now. Where was his point of origin for the trip? Uh, somewhere out east, and he was headed uh, out west. Now he did say, "Look, I'm so riding through." He started through. in the east and didn't see a Hillary sign. Started in the east. I, I just say, but this dovetails with the enthusiasm when we huh. see rallies. She has trouble pulling people. Yes, Tim Kaine has trouble pulling people. Yes. You go to a Trump event; it it literally is an event. There are thousands of people and people who can't get in because they're sold out. When, uh, and then now I've completely lost my uh, train of thought uh, on the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, there's the enthusiasm for Trump has been there almost since the beginning. The enthusiasm for, enthusiasm for Hillary almost has never been there. And I, I find it fast. And I know that people like Ben Yall go, oh, you can't, you can't count that. You can't, but there's something to that. You can't completely discount it either. Right. And that's the enthusiasm. Yard signs don't vote, but they do show enthusiasm for those who would like to. We'll see if that's uh, Ben's direct quote. Plenty of Illinois things to get to, including who's moving houses and why a Democrat is positioning himself to break ranks with Michael Madigan. We'll talk about that next with Ben Yount here on The Morning Meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. This is Mark Levin, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid. No, your timepiece has not uh, ceased working correctly. Am I late? We're just uh, early with the Illinois Watchdog Ben Yount this morning on the morning meeting. I'm wondering if he's going to be more subdued since he's just waking up or if he's still uh, wild and woolly. Ben Yount, good morning. I'm, I'm glad to see you guys are bringing me on. With the Nelly Slow Jams collection, that is that is the perfect choice for music for this Tuesday morning. Well, it was it was that, or I was going to ask you out right out of the lead since you brought it up. I'll I'll double back to this. Uh, you had mentioned that you were looking at places to uh, move to out of state after the youngest one completed his high school education, and you mentioned Florida. And we have reports that that hundreds and hundreds of pounds of marijuana are now surfacing in the waters around Florida. I don't know if you're like UPSing these out before your arrival or what. Like, what's going on there? I, 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 just, I just think it's it's 
part of part of the Florida relocation effort. I mean, you know, hey, you might find an alligator, you might find a brick of weed. You never know what you're going to find in Florida. I, I mean, can't you just see like the sun setting and a couple of people being like Florida and they dance and it like freeze frames 1970s style. Somebody's missing a hand because of a crocodile. Other guy's got a giant brick of drugs. Yeah, I, I, I think that's part of the the recruitment effort. It's called the Gulf Coast grab bag. <laughs> I like it. Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, with us this morning on the morning meeting. Ben, there is a Democrat, Tony Del Giorno of Springfield, who is positioning himself as a Democrat ready to break away from House Speaker Michael Madigan. Uh, Del Giorno says he won't vote for the House Speaker for another term as Speaker. Is this positioning in his race as he's being challenged by Republican uh, Sarah Jimenez? This this seems to be so contrary to the theme that we hear in Illinois. Yeah, this is what you call election talk. This is what you, you can say before Election Day, when Mike Madigan doesn't care about anything other than electing Democrats. Now, if, if, if Tony has the, the, the cojones here to actually say this come January, then it will be a story. But right now, this is a Democratic state rep running in what has been a Republican district going back to, to Abraham Lincoln. And he is trying to tie Sarah Jimenez to Bruce Rauner, and Sarah Jimenez is trying to tell, tie Tony to Mike Madigan. I mean, this is the same fight that you see in almost every contested state house race across the state, that it is not local representative X versus local candidate Y. It is, are you on the side of Rauner, or are you on the side of Mike Madigan? And perhaps only in Springfield. Only in Springfield is Bruce Rauner less popular than Mike Madigan, because that is a town that is populated by state workers and state retirees, and and while they certainly do not have any love for Speaker Madigan, they have hate. White-hot burning hatred for Bruce Rauner, and so the, the notion that Tony Del Giorno can say, yeah, I'm independent. Yeah, yeah, I'll never vote for Madigan. Yeah, he can get away with that, and, and Madigan will let him get away with that here in October. Come January, when he actually has to cast the vote, we will see something completely different. Ben Yount with us this morning on the morning meeting. Ben, there's a lot of talk in the state about uh, getting a, a transportation lockbox so that those funds don't wander off in any other direction. Uh, is it time to separate all of our monies so that they're more safe, or do we just need to get stuff covered? The, the interesting part of this, and, and I, I, I thought about this for a while, because the first time I heard this proposal, I'm like, oh, okay. This gets back to the idea that once you give state government money, it's state government's money, and they can do with it what they will. So it makes sense. Okay, let's, let's kind of lockbox off. Our road money, we certainly could use the road money. Our roads are kind of terrible in the state. But when you realize what it does, it lockboxes away $500 million a year. And it forces that money to be spent on roads. And we need it. But there are going to be some years that we need something else more. There are going to be years where we can wait on that project. There are going to be years where we don't have, eventually, we don't have... $500 million worth of projects, but guess what? This amendment says, nope, that money can only be spent on roads. And, and what it becomes is, once again, it becomes one of these 
terrible, horrible con- you know, occurrences at the state capitol where somebody takes a good idea, let's fix the roads, and they make it into a crony slush fund. Because now this would be $500 million dedicated every single year. No one can touch it. No one can change it. It has to go to roads and road builders and the firms that build roads. And while we do need to improve our highways, byways, and bridges in this state, you always have to be a little wary when somebody goes to Springfield and uses the system to make sure that they employ people in the state. It's a bad idea when it is state workers. It is not that much better of an idea when you go and you constitutionally require a jobs program for only road builders, school teachers not so much, other needs in the state not so much, road builders only. And that's, that, that's the question that I think a lot of critics are trying to talk about here. Because while everybody says, yeah, let's fix the highways, when you realize that what it becomes is a permanent jobs program for the people who build roads, it's, it's a lot less sexy. Yeah, it's the constitutional adjustment that is uh, a sticking point for me moving forward on this one. Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, with us this morning on the morning meeting. Ben, we're always uh, on the lookout for when uh, people, citizens, taxpayers in the state of Illinois say they are getting ready to flee the state or they have an intention to. One of the bedrock industries in the state, one of the bedrock businesses has long been Caterpillar. Now they're having a CEO changeover. Should we be on the lookout to see if the new man, Jim Umpleby, I believe, uh, has no love for the state and may be moving a headquarters here? Because this has been talked about before. If the state loses Cat, it would be a huge blow. I I think that Caterpillar is moving jobs. I, I think it would take a lot to move headquarters. Out of Peoria, possibly, but m- most likely the move would go where, where a lot of other corporate headquarters have gone, and that is to Chicago. The, the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, somebody yesterday, had a far better piece on the, the exit of Doug Oberhelman, and it explained that this was not just the end of a career. This was somebody who a couple of years ago, at the height of the economic boom, decided that he was going to spend $10 billion dollars to build heavy machinery, and within weeks, months, the bottom fell out of the market, and Cat was, was left with all of these commitments, and, and it didn't make sense in the new economic reality. I, I, I think that the, the, the problem that Illinois has is Illinois is not a business-friendly state. Illinois is not a state that is welcoming to manufacturers. Illinois is not a state that, that gives big business any confidence. And, and, and listen, you know, we are going to start to test the loyalty of not just Caterpillar, but John Deere and State Farm and all of the other firms that have called Illinois home for years. And what I don't want to have happen is I don't want to have another Sears or another Motorola where the state bends over backwards and gives cash away just to keep the nameplate here in the state. This is, this is the simultaneous conversation that we get to have in Illinois while the state melts down we watch the private sector employers that could save the state reassess what they're doing. I mean, listen, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Arizona, they are booming economic states, not just because of the weather. You know, they're not facing a hundred and something billion dollars in pension debt. They're not facing the, the, the almost immediate calls for a tax increase. These, these companies are in business because they know how to add and they're smart and those two things don't bode well for the state of Illinois. 
Ben Yount with us this morning on the morning meeting. Yeah, Ben, a lot of red tape if you want to be in business here in the land of Lincoln. Governor Rauner uh, has now created a, a, a council that he says will cut bureaucracy uh, here in Illinois. So it's more government, ultimately equal less government. What's the grading scale on this group? Well, I, I think that there certainly is a lot of red tape. And some of it is, is it the state? But you've you got to remember that, that one person's red tape is someone else's job. And, and one person's economic hurdle is a check on whatever. The, the, the problems in Illinois are pretty simple. The, the tax code exists to catch people. People are terrified that they're going to make a mistake on their taxes and that they are going to get in much more trouble. That, that, that there are no honest mistakes. That they, they, they're going to be viewed as cheaters. The second big problem, one in four people in the state of Illinois need permission from government to do their job. Professional licensing in this state is an absolute joke. You cannot touch, touch hair for money in the state of Illinois. You want to braid hair, you want to cut hair, you want to do... If anybody gives you compensation, buddy of mine used to cut my hair, I'd give him a six-pack of beer. That's technically against the law because you cannot give anything of value for a service. If, if the governor really wants to not just go through and chop out public employees, and listen, you're never going to get any, any, any tears over that from me, but what, what's going to have to happen is you're going to have to figure out, does the state of Illinois exist to serve the people of the state of Illinois, or does the state of Illinois exist to serve the state of Illinois? And, and I think right now that the bureaucracy, the rules, the regulations, they are all designed to serve the state of Illinois. Yeah, I looked into making some extra money cutting Quaid's hair, but uh, that'd be a losing venture as he's just lets it grow for years at a time. Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, our guest this morning on The Morning Me. You've got some on your collar. Well, I always have some on my collar. That's how I roll. But, yeah, the, the, the whole value for the, for the uh, service depends upon the value of the beer, Ben, and we know how you roll. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got, I've got the, the collection of growlers. I've got one filled with pennies, one filled with silver, and I need to figure out what I can put in the other three. Start just jamming dollars in say, there. I've got hair on my shoulder if you want to start one of those. You, you, you make it seem as if I have dollar bills. I have to hide these things from my, from my grubby little children anyway. Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, I guess you're going to have to stay at home now because the uh, Illinois Executive Mansion will close to the public and the Rounders are moving into the uh, Illinois State Fairgrounds during the Executive Mansion closure. This is, it's a fine campaign. Uh, they are doing this with uh, private money. Uh, Diana Rauner has been uh, doing a capital campaign for the uh, repairs necessary on the Illinois Executive Mansion through private fundraising. But this is, I mean, this is less than news in my mind. This is, this is just advertising for what they're getting involved with. Yeah, the, the Executive Mansion is a story everywhere outside of Springfield. No one in Springfield really cares. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it looks nice from the outside, but what's inside, no one really cares. It, even, even people who are in the state government, you go there for a, a lunch meeting or you go there once a year for the Christmas party. This is, this is more symbolic, and this is what happens when the press corps got bored and Pat Quinn didn't live there, and Rob Blagojevich didn't win there, and so everybody was just like, why don't you live in the governor's mansion? The governor should live in the governor's mansion. And Bruce Rauner said, sure, I'll live in the governor's mansion. And then he realized that it was a dump. It was a flop house. It is interesting, though, that, that the, the house they are moving to, just say this sentence again. 
the governor of the state of Illinois is moving from the governor's mansion in downtown Springfield, just blocks from the Illinois Capitol, to a house on the Illinois State Fairgrounds. And it's one of two homes on the fairgrounds. They're moving into the ag director's house, and the, the other house is the state fair manager's house. Did you really realize that there is property, that there are homes on the Illinois State Fairgrounds? I, I love the state fair, and I have, I have been to that director's lawn for 20 years, but I, I, I got to wonder if people in other states have actual homes sitting on their fairgrounds that the governor can move into. That, to me, is the more interesting question, is why do we have two houses on the fair. In 2016, when the fair is losing money hand over fist and no one is showing up, why do we continue to maintain these homes on the fairgrounds? Ben Yount, Illinois Watchdog, our guest this morning here on the morning meeting. Ben, thanks so much for the time and the early hit. We'll talk to you again next week, bud. Have fun, guys. More morning meeting coming up next as we get ready for an appearance from Darren LaHood after his debate with Junius Rodriguez last night next on the morning meeting. Giving conservatives a voice WTAD. It's a morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Sean Seacrest, Quaid with you this morning. If you missed any of it, or you just can't believe that's what you think Ben Yount said, grab the podcast as soon as we're done here. WTAD.com for the last five or wherever you get yours. Latest explosive allegation heading into the debate in Vegas tomorrow night, Quaid. Not coming from WikiLeaks. No, this is out now. This uh, story was on Fox News. A senior State Department official is reportedly and now confirmed proposed a quid pro quo. That's Latin, meaning this for that, uh, to try and convince the FBI to strip classification from an email on Hillary Clinton's server. This is uh, being reported. Uh, Patrick Kennedy, Undersecretary of State, uh, asked for FBI assistance in altering the email. on This is on her private server's classification uh, in exchange for a quid pro quo. Uh, the actual quote from that meeting was that in exchange for the FBI marking the emails as unclassified, the state would reciprocate by allowing the FBI to place agents in countries where they are presently forbidden. Mm-hmm. This is this is make it a splash. This, yeah. But this was because this was based off of email. So this was one of the WikiLeaks things, right? It was in that batch. Yeah. Yes. But now it, this this was a case where the batch is so voluminous. Oh, yeah. That your, things are coming out as people are able to not just read, but then you have to go back. Go back and go, verify, did I read that right? Verify that. You have to have yeah. outside corroboration. So these things are going to continue to trickle out. This, uh, while maybe not directly tied to her, if you believe that whoever is the CEO, the GM, the head coach, is ultimately responsible for what goes on underneath them, maybe not at the lowest levels, but this is the Undersecretary of State in the Secretary of State's office. Certainly, there is, at, at, at minimum, I'll go ahead and borrow uh, one of the great uh, bureaucratic nonsense phrases uh, that the NCAA has contributed to our lexicon, lack of institutional control. Sure. Well, I, and they were asked about this yesterday, and they kind of elated. Look, mm-hmm. nothing happened. 
No classifications were changed. There's no quid pro quo, even though that's certainly what has been implied here. Uh, that uh, there, there was nothing that actually came of it. So they're basically saying no harm, no foul, even though by law, the fact that you even proposed it is the harm and the foul altogether. We'll get to a couple more things that we're keeping an eye on ahead of tomorrow night's debate as we get the opportunity to this morning on the morning meeting. Now it's our chance to catch up with uh, one of the debateurs from last night's 18th District Congressional Debate, Darren LaHood, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Darren, thanks for squeezing in some time on your busy schedule today. Appreciate the chance to talk to you after last night's debate. Hey, Sean, great to be with you and your listeners today. So how did it go for you last night? This is a situation where Junius Rodriguez has really taken his uh, his pot and his wooden spoon and been making a lot of noise around the district, asking for, I think at one time, like up to nine debates. You, you guys agreed on doing the one last night hosted by the uh, Springfield Journal-Register. Uh, in, your, in your mind, how did this go? Well, I think it was a great opportunity to talk about the two different visions that uh, Junius Rodriguez and I have. You know, he uh, supports Hillary Clinton. He's kind of a Bernie Sanders-type uh, candidate. Uh, and we had an opportunity to talk about the issues. Uh, this, uh, Sean, is, as you may know, is my fourth election in 16 months. Uh, it's my eighth debate that I've participated in in the last 15 months. Um, and I'm, I'm proud of uh, the, the record that we put together in the one year uh, being there. And, you know, I continue to talk last night about uh, the issues that I think are important and reflect my district, fiscal responsibility, a smaller government, ethics and transparency, term limits, a strong national defense. Um, and so it was, a, it was a good opportunity. I thought it was a, a, a good debate. I thought uh, the questions were pretty good. And I think it gave a real insight uh, onto uh, two different, um, you know, directions on, on where, the, where we think the country needs to go. Darren LaHood, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Uh, Darren, uh, Junius Rodriguez trying to cover a lot of space. Uh, obviously, he's got the uh, D next to his name, but he also tries to to uh, uh, position himself as kind of this firebrand independent version of Democrat, and I don't know that there is really uh, such a thing. Uh, was it kind of hard to, to pin him down on a particular area last night, or was it just words that he's this firebrand independent, and in the end, He's right there with Democrats on almost everything. Well, I mean, the, the moderators tried to pin him down a little bit, but being a college professor who likes to talk a lot, that was, that was uh, sometimes difficult to do. But, you know, he clearly said he was supporting Hillary Clinton uh, moving forward. Um, and, you know, getting him uh, to, uh, to, you know, confirm on a number of these issues, whether that pertain to national security or what we do about our deficit and our debt, uh, term limits, protecting life, um, you know, some of those issues, uh, it was, uh, you know, a lot of non-answers, I thought. But again, I think uh, it gave people a good visual uh, on, you know, the, the type of candidate that he is. Um, but, you know, people, uh, at least in my district, uh, and he included, are, are um, you know, they have a hard time justifying voting for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I don't think we've had a more dishonest or, um, you know, non-credible candidate in the history of this presidential election uh, than, than her. And, um, you know, it's hard to defend that. Darren LaHood, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Darren, looking at the transcript from the debate last night, one of the topics uh, that, that I was kind of scratching my head over was Obamacare. Uh, the, the promises that, that it made have been far from true. Uh, Rodriguez said that he wants to use legislation to limit price increases that insurance companies can impose. Uh, you, for a long time, have been saying, look, we, we have to repeal and replace 
What do you want to replace it with? I, I imagine you're not a single-payer guy. No, not at all. I mean, we have to go. I mean, we have to go back to the private sector being involved, the marketplace being involved, and not the government dictating it. Um, that that is clear. Um, and this is going to collapse under its own weight. It is it, it is a Ponzi scheme in many ways uh, that's going to collapse. Uh, you just look at the trajectory that it's on, Sean, and you also look at everybody that's pulling out of it. You know, every promise that was made of, as a part of Obamacare that you're going to have a lot of health care options uh, hasn't happened, that your premiums are going to go down didn't happen, that the cost of health care is going to be affordable didn't happen. Uh, you're going to be able to keep your doctor. That didn't happen. So, you know, uh, people are frustrated. You're even hearing Democrats run from it, you know, from Bill Clinton to Hillary Clinton talking about, quote, reforming it. So it, it has to happen. But, but um, you know, if you think about it, one-sixth of the U.S. economy is tied to health care. Turning that over to the federal government to run it is not uh, an efficient way to do that, and we're seeing that firsthand. So what do we do? We have to, again, be able to have insurance companies be a, go across state lines. you got to have more marketplace ideas. Getting back, you got to get rid of the subsidies that the government puts in place, and you got to quit uh, incentivizing people that make very bad health decisions on a personal level uh, that other people are going to pay for that. And that's really what's been happening. We are paying for the people that are paying higher premiums are paying for people that have made very bad health decisions in their life. And, and that's there's a fundamental unfairness with that. Darren LaHood, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Darren, one of the popular responses is that, uh, and I'm certainly a part of this group, entitlements in this country have, have grown out of control. I am all for a first world helping hand for those who absolutely need it the most. But the entitlement system in this country has gotten, in my mind, overly generous and overly costly for those who pay in. I know you want to cut back on some of that expansion that's come out, but does that dovetail with health care? This is, this is kind of the hard conversation. Is For, for those who can't, health care is an always growing cost. Is there is there a limit there, or is that something that, that government is kind of locked into paying despite it being a blank check? Well, we, we, we clearly can't be locked into it when you look at uh, the runaway, runaway train that it is, I and mean, we can't afford it down the road. So, I mean, we have to think about how we long-term make these tough choices, you know, whether that's going to a tiered approach, Sean. So, I mean, clearly people that are retired now or close to retirement that have, have done everything that we've asked them to do, I think that's a difficult thing to do to go in there and change that. But Clearly, younger people, people coming into the system, people that are my age, I'm 48, you know, I, I, looking at means testing, looking at raising the retirement age, you know, looking at options, cutting back on, uh, on some of the benefits for, for younger people that it's not going to be the same system. Those are the type of things that need to be implemented. Uh, but to do nothing uh, like we're doing right now is clearly a night, not, the, not the right path to go down. So, um, you know, uh, I've often looked at a six-tiered approach. So whatever, wherever you're at in those different tiers, uh, your benefits are going to be different moving forward than people that are in there now. Um, that has to change. And obviously the other thing is, Sean, a pro-growth economy helps solve so many of our problems. Mm -hmm. You know, if you had growth at 3% or 3.5%, um, it, it helps solve so many of our problems, brings down our debt, helps with health care, helps with education, more people are paying uh, or are filling up with gas, so it helps our transportation system. We are at about a half a percent, maybe 1% growth. The last time we had a robust economy was the late 90s when we had a technology boom. But remember, we had Bill Clinton as president. 
Newt Gingrich is speaker, but we had pro-growth. That's what we need to get back to uh, moving forward. Darren LaHood with us this morning on the morning meeting. Per the debate last night, do you you feel like sometimes, and I know that this was the only debate that uh, you and Junius uh, Rodriguez are going to have, do you think sometimes that we're so preoccupied with the presidential race that it even impedes upon your debate? Did you think there were too many questions pertaining to that race and how you guys perceive that race that that, that showed up in your debate? Uh, The answer is yes, Quaid. I mean, if you think about it, you know, I'm a brand new member of Congress, been there one year. I'm focused on my district, focused on what I, you know, on my record for the one year and uh, the issues that are important to people in my district, not the presidential race, you know. And so there was a lot of fixation on that last night, um, you know, and that was clear with the, the, the two or three questions that came about. But, you know, my, my view is people have made up their minds on the presidential race. You know, in a debate like last night, we want to hear about issues and the different philosophies that that each of us had last night and clearly the moderators had a fixation on that uh, and that was clear from a number of the questions there darren LaHood, our 18th district representative darren i know you're busy today uh thank you for squeezing us in for some time great opportunity to follow up with you after the debate last night appreciate the time and we'll talk to you soon hey great guys have a, have a great uh, day and uh thanks to your listeners too take care Darren LaHood, our guest this morning on the morning meeting. Coming up, we wrap it up. Who pulled off an epic trolling last night? And why did that make some people's backsides tight? And who's giving to whom? We'll dissect a little bit of the industrial media complex coming up next on the morning meeting. Where we go, others will follow. That's who we are. Even if it's not the best idea. The morning meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Hi, it's Glenn Beck, and you're listening to The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. Coast crab bag here in the neighborhood. (laughs) And if it got a little empty, you could always fill it up with some of the trash from the old tree stump hole, right? It's The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD. John Seacrest Quaid with you in the final moments here this morning. Wall Street Journal had a very interesting article hit. I think it was last night. It's uh, I saw it this morning. Uh, it is uh, it's worth the read. It's about a ten minute read, and it outlines what we have uh, suspected and kind of read the tea leaves over where Hillary wants to take Obamacare. And they have it all lined out for her plan for single payer. When she says yes, we need to replace Obamacare. It's not with the free market that we knew before. It's with government-run single-payer. This began back in 1993 when she was then first lady. She led a task force then to try and deliver single-payer but lacked enough Democrat votes in the Senate in order to get it done. So it was abandoned. This goes into the entire uh, history of her fight since being appointed to that commission in 93 uh, as the first lady on her drive to bring single-payer, to bring socialized medicine to the U.S. It was a different America back then. It was a different America back then. But it's not an America now nor then that should have single-payer. And, and, and as far and you, you talk about Democrats not getting behind her. Those are the elected uh, officials not getting behind The people mm-hmm. have never been uh, behind it. And that has, hasn't changed. So as far as that America goes... That's still the same. The fact that the people didn't want it didn't matter to the elected officials uh, seven years ago. They just 
pressed on through. Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah, I think a great point was made uh, by Darren LaHood just a moment ago when he was talking about the prosperity. You have to remember you had New Gingrich uh, there who had a much different vision with his contract for America, uh, much different vision at that time as well. And and we talked about, you know, it, it was it was good that we were able to let him be clear about repeal and replace because it's it's a catchy uh, phrase that a lot of people will throw around out there, but what does it mean? So well, it was, repeal is obvious, but replace right. is where you get the open-ended mm-hmm. sort of thing to it. And, and yes, it's largely used by those who want to return to a private free market uh, cross-state lines uh, insurance model that we had uh, prior to Obamacare. Meanwhile, I thought this was interesting. The Washington Examiner uh, put together a tally of known... Uh, uh, media, I, I hate the phrase mediaites, but uh, known journalists in media and who they wrote checks to during this presidential run. The Center for Public Integrity <laughs> reported that, uh, and this is shocking, journalists favored Clinton over Trump, but by a margin of 27 to 1. No. That's right. How did that one get through? 430 uh, in the media business, donated to Clinton. There's 430 individuals. 50 donated to Trump. Uh, and this is this is something that it, w- it doesn't surprise anybody. But when you talk about a system being rigged, it's not that the actual vote count is cheating you. It's that you have a participatory media trying to slant something that their job is to report on. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about a rigged system, this is what people are talking about, is that you have a media, an industrial media complex that has already chosen sides and is trying to sell their side to you. Not just sell their side, but run interference to keep you from learning about uh, certain things about the candidate that they have donated to on a much more substantial basis. Now, that's uh, that's the part that you kind of have to stop and go, huh, okay, not not surprised at all. So when you hear say when you hear Trump say stuff like this, this is what he's talking about. And I've told you we'd have an epic troll for you at the end of the show. Charlotte Hornets. This is NBA center Frank Kaminsky from the south side of Chicago. Oh, yeah. White Sox fan. He showed up for the preseason matchup with the Bulls in Chicago last night wearing a Steve Bartman Cubs jersey. Uh I saw that. For warm-ups. Yeah. Excellent work, Mr. Kaminsky. Uh, Very good. By the way, uh, James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, has some new videos out there about uh, Hillary's campaign inciting violence at Trump rallies. He says he's got more videos on the way. Expect to hear more about that at Project Veritas, or you can go to uh, truthrevolt.com. They've got them there as well. That's going to do it for us. Travis Aiken, I-Law, tomorrow here on The Morning Meeting. Morning Meeting adjourned. Join us again tomorrow for the best talk in the tri-states. The Morning Meeting on Talk Radio 930 WTAD.